Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Podcast. These are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting. Well, Jonathan, uh, I don't even know what season number this is. I think it's number nine. <laughs> I don't either. I forgot to look. Must, must not be that important. <laughs> it must not be. We're going to find that out later, but we're back for another season of the Notable Podcast. And um, every single one of these books that we've done has been just... In, in so many ways, just life-changing. Like these books, Jonathan, they just open up to me in all new ways. I can never read them again without just that rush, that, that spiritual energy, that, that life um, that each one brings. And um, I say this every season, but I'm excited for, for Habakkuk. Like we could have changed, we, we, we almost picked Genesis again, we're, I think we were like that close, weren't we? Like within we had it, we had it planned for a second, maybe right. longer than that, maybe millimeters. Like it just almost happened, and then, um, but it's a backup. And what changed it for me, Jonathan, was a little YouTube video sent me on on the ibex, and. Uh, you know, it was one of those, it's one of those typical, I call them creation videos because I don't like call them nature videos. I, I don't think nature is the right word for Christians to use, but that's a, nature just means natural. Like it just sort of was a natural thing that happened, but nothing is. I That's, that's a side point. So I call them creation videos and it's got like this English narrator and you see these incredible well, it's an ibex deer. Is it? Is that a a deer? I don't know. Well, maybe not in 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 the way we do zoology and break up species. I I'm not an expert on that, but it sure would be a term that fits in the lexical range of the deer that we're going to talk about in Habakkuk. Yeah. So there's these ibex, kind of like a mountain goat. Yeah, and there's this sheer face of a dam that is hundreds of feet high. And people can YouTube this, just YouTube yeah. Ibex. Yeah, Ibex, do like Ibex Dam or something like that, salt. Anyway, they have these video shots of these Ibex climbing that like a sheer face so they can lick salt at the top of the dam and you see this little ibex following the mama ibex and it like two feet off the ground it almost falls you know they're like oh <laughs> and then you see them just going up further and further and further until they're hundreds like if it, it's like if they took take one bad step they will plunge to their death like that's that's what it looks like. And they don't. And you sent me that video and you said, we should do Habakkuk, read Habakkuk chapter three. 
which says this, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So I'm watching this Ibex tread on the heights and I'm like, I want that. I Spiritually, emotionally, I want to tread on the heights like the Ibex. And um, that is Habakkuk's, like if we want to look at this from uh, an emotional um, perspective, we're going we're gonna to go all the way from the depths of what I might, we might say that Habakkuk is absolutely, in a sense, like he's not all wrong, but in a sense, he's absolutely like a, a, a carp bottom feeding at the, the beginning of the book. And he, and he becomes the Ibex on the heights by the end of the book. And that's, 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 that's the whole thing. That's, that's exciting. Like if you're, if you're listening in right now, just think on that, like wherever, whatever emotional place that you're in right now, um, maybe it's not as extreme as a back. It's at the beginning, but, but you want to move from wherever you are to, to, the, the the heights of the ibex this is the book for you and for me yeah and you know we'll say more about habakkuk chapter three when we get here but here when we think about this is such a powerful image a, a deer treading on the heights and ibex treading on the heights it's this is different than rising above your trouble you know we you know we think about that i was thinking about uh titles for the sermon series and faith, faith in troubled times is sometimes what people use. Um, I like that, uh, but just using Habakkuk's language there, you're you're a deer that treads on the heights. You notice that he's not above it; he's actually walking on it. And this is this is significant biblical language. It's biblical language that's rooted first um, in Moses and in, in, in the Torah, and then um, it gets appropriated. By David in the Psalms, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Habakkuk is now um, reappropriating that language um, for his context. So we're we're in a long um, Christian biblical tradition of saying we are going to people. We're not rising above the trouble. We're going to be in the trouble, but we're going to treat the trouble like we're victors. We're treading on it. We're actually when you tread on something, you are conquering it. And so we're going to be, we're going to, we're going to make like a deer, um, like an Ibex. We're going to have deer feet by the end of it. It's, it's, it's an incredibly um, conquering, like victorious image. Um, not that you're yanked out of the trouble, but that you're in the trouble, but you have deer feet and it's precarious, but you're, you're dancing on it. Like it's not, not even a thing. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about. That's where we're going to get by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yeah, and it's not where we start the book. Like th there's some there's some books of scripture that have um, a narrative progression, and and it, it really an emotional component to that as well. And Habakkuk is one of them. Like he he literally starts in one place emotionally, and if you track his language emotionally, he goes from really devastation, almost close to hopelessness that's not hopelessness yet mm -hmm. um 
he goes to um, just to, to shaking in his boots to, to, to complete silence. And then, he's, he, in other words, he's not able to say anything because he's just yeah, stunned. He's- He's physiologically shaken. You could like he we get body yeah. postures. He's he's standing. He he becomes like a ghost. He <laughs> it's an amazing it's, thing. And by the yeah. end of the book, it's joy, which is an amazing like it, it, the, the scriptures talk about being transformed in in your in your mind. This is this is Habakkuk's whole goal, and he's gonna use himself as um, he wants us to walk along with him in that really spiritual and emotional journey. This is going to be a journey of sorts. Um, and there, there's a scholar named uh, Dr. Ernst Wenland who argues that um, Habakkuk is, against so many scholars, really, is really an entire literary unit from chapters one through three. And, and, and if you read it that way, it's so powerful. You'll see Habakkuk's emotional transformation, and you'll see God give the antidote, like the answer to Habakkuk's complaints one by one. It's like a, this big chiasm where at the beginning, Habakkuk's got one complaint. At the end of the book, God answers it. Then Habakkuk's got another complaint um, a little bit before that. God answers it. And it, the book kind of works that way. Um, and the hinge is is then chapter two, which becomes for Paul, uh, first of all, for Paul, um, his whole theology in Romans. And um, and then later, Martin Luther bases his whole Reformation on the hinge. <laughs> of of the book of Habakkuk. So we're going to see um, bedrock, reformation, gospel, Christ-centered, like Pauline, spiritual transformations book like, like none other. And it's just something that we got to get excited about. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, as we we're just processing through the introduction, like introductory material, what are we doing here? We want to start treading on the heights. One thing that we can all keep in mind is that there isn't, there actually isn't a whole lot of contextual comments that we have to make right now, um, either um, biographically that we know about Habakkuk or about the historical context, the Zitzenleben is what the scholars would call it, of um of Habakkuk. We just don't have a lot of that data. We don't say, we don't have anything like we have with other prophets Prophets where Habakkuk is tied to a specific king here or something like that. Interestingly, um, Habakkuk does pop up in the Apocrypha. Um, a beautiful religious fiction is what um, some people call it, and it is worth reading and retaining at some level for Christians. Um, we wouldn't say it's canonical or inspired, but um, we got uh, a story about about Daniel. Actually, pulled it out um, in my my apocrypha right here, Bell and the Dragon. Beautiful little story, and oh, wow. uh, it's got uh, a story about Daniel in the lion's den. We know it's not again that we have the canonical Daniel, and he's the 
he's the authority. Um, this takes the story and transforms it. Again, it's religious fiction. But there, interestingly, Habakkuk pops up. He, he doesn't he doesn't pop up like that in the canon, but there Habakkuk actually gets picked up by his hair, transported from Judah and as an old man and feeds him in Daniel in the lion's den. Um, other than that, we don't know much more about Habakkuk. Um, people postulate things about his name. Um, if you want to run in, in the exegetical tradition of Martin Luther, um, he thinks Habakkuk's name means the embracer. And so he's, he's a comforter. He's a consolation. He certainly gets there for people who are um, off, off um, who are going to experience the exile. Habakkuk's a pre-exilic prophet. We call him that. Um, Babylon's coming. We're going to be examining that, that he is, uh, the people are then, of, of Judah are then carted off to um, captivity. Other people think that his name has something, something to do um, with gardening. Um, there's a lot of supposition, a lot of speculation. Nobody really knows. And, and therefore, we don't really, it's, it's not going to help us along our way. Here we just have, have Habakkuk. Um, coming into the canon, really out of nowhere, he's, he tells us that, that that he has a prophet, a prophecy. Um, we can we can say that uh, going a little bit further, like uh, there's a commentator by the name of Robertson that thinks that um, the word burden there, it, that's what the prophecy um, means in Hebrew, it's a burden. So it's something that's heavy on his heart that makes sense emotionally and theologically to me as well, um, because Habakkuk's going to burst out. Um, he's going to have something to say. Um, he's very, very emotional. Um, and the last thing I want to say by way of introduction is that um, another one of the ways that you could track this book is dialogically. Um, Dialogically, so very, very interestingly, you have um, a prof, a first person. This is for so the the the, the prophets. In, in a way, the Lord's going to talk to us, but but Habakkuk's going to talk to the Lord, and they go back and forth, and you have this sort of dialogical conversation between the two, which makes the book absolutely um, autobiographical for Habakkuk, and we track his journey personally. Um, he becomes a model for us in that way, and it sure makes for interesting and powerful reading, as we will see. It it does. Like we we become overhearers of of this dialogical conversation, and it's it's in, it's incredibly powerful. Like everything that we're going to say about Habakkuk, we can we can characterize or, or, or mine from the text itself. Like I feel comfortable saying that this prophet was a deeply sensitive man, a deeply yes, sensitive man. Very we'll see emotional that. man too. Um, oh yeah. He would, he was he very moved, emotional man. Um, emotionally. And um, he also, it, unlike Jeremiah, who, who likely preached and prophesied around the same moment, um, Jeremiah, battled and he he really suffered personally he ended up in pits and things like that uh, Habakkuk his language is in comparison with Jeremiah's is very restrained it's it's it, often it's ambiguous 
the um, the sinners, not the sin, but rather the sinners that he's trying to point out. There's a lot of debate about whether it's internal, whether it's it's in Judah, whether it's to the outside, and he's he's critiquing the nations. Um, and and so Habakkuk, Habakkuk, it, it seems is able to avoid sort of ending up in those pits. And a lot of the suffering, we'll see this in a second, comes from him just being empathic, where he's not in, uh, personally involved in the violence or the injustice, but rather it deeply bothers him that he even sees it. And um, so we'll see that. Jonathan, I thought before we should just take as part of the introduction, verse one, just real briefly, and this is all that's revealed about Habakkuk right away. This is verse one. It says the prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. So I, I just want to, um, for a second, raise our expectations, or at least set our expectations, that um, we're we're led to believe, and this is before we hear even the first word of the prophecy. We're led to believe that Habakkuk is about to say, "This is the word of the Lord," and then speak to the people because that's what a prophet does. Um, Luther actually thinks, and and I checked, Luther's right that Habakkuk is alone among the the prophets for claiming his title. So the prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. So he's, Luther calls it a proud title. Now, I don't know what Luther means. Maybe he's saying like God lifted Habakkuk up or Habakkuk proudly, like he's saying, hey, I'm a prophet. You guys should listen to me. I'm not sure how to read that, him claiming his title up or down, or if Luther's reading it up or down. But I do think it's important to note that it does lead us to believe that we're about to hear like God's going to be sending a message from heaven through Habakkuk for us to receive, and that's not what we get. Yeah, in, in other words, you're trying to make this as surprising as it actually is that here we have a biblical prophet who or, who doesn't say, thus says the Lord. He says, or the, the Lord has something to say to you. He says, Lord, I have something to say to you. <laughs> yeah, it's Here. it's kind of, I, I was thinking about like tantamount to that today would be for a pastor when he's, where it says in the bulletin, you know, sermon, the pastor um, gets into the pulpit and then all of a sudden leaves the pulpit and goes to stand in front of the altar and starts offering up a prayer. That sounds God, God, the gospel and the law are paralyzed. Nobody cares about it anymore. And I've been praying on that for a long time now, God, and you're not listening. Amen. <laughs> right. You know, like but that's not now you started, now you like broke us out from the introduction and he started oh, in the verses one. So two sorry. To, was it too, was to, it too to early to, to do that? Was it too early no. to do that? <laughs> no, but well, that's the surprise. That is the surprise. Mm -hmm. Well, I think maybe we should read the verses and then just talk about how provocative and how radical this the beginning of this book really is, because Habakkuk 
in a sense, you know, I don't want to come down on him too hard, but he does subvert our expectations at least, and perhaps subverts his his prophetic office even by by choosing um, uh, to deliver um, a prayer instead of a, a prophecy. But do you want to read it or should I, John? No, go ahead. Go ahead and read it. So he says, this is starting at verse two. We'll just read up to verse four, and that's about as far as we'll get today. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict bounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. This is God's word. So I, I guess I just wanted to say this just to open up, Jonathan. This is provocative. This is, I, I was trying to think for myself, like, if I was going to make a top three list of most provocative beginnings in the whole Bible, and, and this is, here would be my top books in no particular order. The first would be Genesis 1, verse 1. God just explodes into the world. He's like, I made the whole thing. Like, that is that is quite <laughs> a beginning. It, wonderful, mm. awe, awe-inspiring beginning. Um, mm. Right up there for me would be Song of Songs. Song of Songs, where we are, it's literally like you're surfing cable channels, and, and you come to one, and you... And you got to click right past it because you see two people making out. And that's exactly what how the the book of Song of Songs starts. You're like, I'm not, I, it, it's provo- it'll provoke you. It's meant to because um, you're seeing two people embrace. But then right up there would be this beginning for, for Habakkuk. Um, he, he subverts our expectations as a bare minimum, and he does not give us a word from God. Instead, he offers a word to God. And it's it's amazing um, to, to think about this a, a little bit deeper. Like Luther puts these words in his mouth. He, he says, um, Habakkuk saying, why have you sent me to preach God? I do not improve them. They do not come to their senses. Um, Habakkuk complains. And he says, God, um, I'm going to quote him. He says, therefore, the law is paralyzed. So like, Think about your getting dental work done, and and the dentist plunges in, in, into your cheek, um, into your jaw, the the numbing agent, and all of a sudden you the 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 saliva is dripping out of the corner of your mouth, like everything's drooping. It's like that. That was the heart of the people. See, it's paralyzed. It's numb. It's got no power. Uh, he sounds a little bit like um the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> who, who oh yeah that's said, a great quote yeah, yeah in Beatles like Father Mackenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear you know the song right. no one comes near mm-hmm. all the lonely people yeah so he's it's just um Habakkuk is uh, spiritually tired he doesn't believe that Torah has any power in people's hearts anymore and he thinks God is totally silent. 
and 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 not there for him um so this is a, a it's it's very provocative well beginning. think of it think you know just running through text how long lord must i call for help but you do not listen so it, 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 interestingly enough in, in the hebrew that that's a perfect verb so lord i have here's here's a a, a more literal translation Lord, I have called for help, but you do not listen. This is, in other words, it's less of a question, more of an accusation. It's you're yeah. not, you're not. I've, I've, call, I've cried out to you. You're not listening. And then look at the. the oh, the, by the, the way, second. let me, let me inter. I just want to build on your point for just a second. The King James version. I hate saying it gets it right. There's mm. no question marks in there. For the KJV, yeah. it is. Mm. This is an accusation, and no other prophet, like most prophets, to put it in an English tense, will say, "How long will I do this?" And Habakkuk says, "How long ha I, have I been doing this, and you don't answer me?" Less a question, it's, more an accusation. Yeah. And then he intensifies it, and he, I want to. I want. I just want to show you, show you this in the second phrase here. He's got. Um, the NIV has, or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Um, we could translate that. I, I, I have cried out to you. This is an intensification, I believe. Um, the Hebrew word there is Hamas. And, you know, our listeners might notice this is still a Middle Eastern word that's used today. Um, and, and it refers um, specifically to an organization today. But this is the word Hamas. So he's he's actually putting language to to the prayers that he prayed to God that have gone unanswered. This is intensification. You know, I've said this to you, God. I've cried out to you, violence. I've cried out to you, Hamas. And but that and then he uses the very specific word for salvation. He uses it. He says, "You're not saving." The, the, now, I I I I just preach this. You don't answer prayer, and you're not saving. You're, you're not God, my Savior. So this is this is really Timothy. You use you, were, you use the word provocative, and I think that that's right. I, I was I, I preached this to my church on Sunday, and I and I watched the body language in my church as I explained to them this is actually what Habakkuk said. Can you imagine if your pastor got up there and said, "God, you are not who you say you are. You have you have made the claim to us that in your heart." In your central heart, you are a saving God. This is who you are. And Habakkuk goes right to the heart of that gospel. And with this um, accusation, puts a dagger in it. He says, God, Hamas, you don't save. Um, and he accuses of, of, of forcing him to look at injustice. He, there's the toleration of wrongdoing. Um, and 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 then he he says he says the law is paralyzed. You talked about that. He says justice never prevails. This is an astounding claim. I I, I look. I want to be gentle to to Habakkuk here, but also be helpful to our listeners here. And I I think the way that I can I can be gentle is just by recognizing when we're in highly emotional states, we come out with stuff. We're just saying it. And this is exactly what Habakkuk is doing. Justice never prevails. If I was going to be a stinker, and I wouldn't be, if I was actually talking to this hurting man, um, I wouldn't be a stinker. I'd listen to him with a heart that, that God has. But I'm not talking to Habakkuk right now. Um, 
And so I would I could point out that there is an answer to this right away. Justice never prevails. Now I could I, I could understand it. I'm trying to point out how emotionally off kilter is. I could understand it if you said justice isn't prevailing right now. I could say I I, I could grasp that if there's there's a historical context. Um, everything's out of whack. It's really bad right now. I get that, but never. He's here. He is speaking in absolute terms. And here's a guy who, even as he's writing the Bible, he has the Bible. He he has the story of the Exodus. He he knows that when there were Hebrew babies murdered back in Egypt, that there was justice for that. Um, when God came along um, there with the tenth plague, he knows that. He knows the story. He knows the story of David. He knows all these stories. He he he's a he's a biblical prophet. He's he's been raised. We're going to talk about how. Um, there's a possibility maybe he was in the temple. Uh, he was in the temple. He's got the word of God. He's got the Torah. And yet here he is. He's making this absolute claim. Justice never prevails. Really, Habakkuk? But the point is, he, he's he's hurting. He's off kilter. He's, he's saying things um, emotionally that um, we would have to say, they're really, come on, Habakkuk. There he, but there he is. There he is. He's hurting. Yeah. He's looking around. He's responding to it. And by the way, one one last thing on this. Categorically, now you can read the scholarship on this. People, people who, who talk about it sloppily, they're going to call this a biblical event. That's not true. It does not have that. We know the the biblical genre of biblical lament has additional pieces to it that are not here. Biblical lament rises up to a, to a place of prayer and praise. There is none of that here. Now, this does fit a biblical category. We would not call this a lament. That would be giving it too much. <laughs> the Psalms are laments because they go emotionally and spiritually to an apex and climax of faith and trust in God. There's a, there's a complaint that moves. Here, the only thing you have is, is a biblical complaint. This is not a lament, it's complaint. It's and it stays there. And I, I I love how you set that up, Jonathan. It is just to just to kind of put a point on this on this digression or this dialogue we're having. The early church fathers were extremely uncomfortable with these opening verses. Now that's changed in modern scholarship. Like I, I, I've got a whole book sitting here that I read, where where the author claims that um, if we don't pray like Habakkuk, then uh, maybe there's something wrong with us. And you know, I want to talk about that as as we go along. But the early church's claim was um, Habakkuk's prayer here comes as close to blasphemy as you possibly can without being blasphemous. Hmm. Like you have to think about what he said and, and um, mark it and, and realize like, and some people don't think that this is actually a category, but I do. There's such a thing. There is such a thing as a sinful prayer. You, you can, you can pray out of whack now we'll talk about later can god receive a prayer like that and is he open to prayer like that and does it and the the answer is absolutely can he take yes. it yeah. yeah can he take it 
um, is he going to is he going to uh, be angry with you for? It? And the answer is no. But that doesn't really. Um, we also have to recognize that that calling God, um, any saying God, you're not a savior, God, and God, you're you, you can't even hear prayer. Um, you're kind of you, at least for me, God, you've been a little bit blind and deaf. That is that's an attack on God's on, on God's character and his person and his attributes. And frankly, it, it does it does um, rub up against the early church. Um, so we need to we, we, we need to recognize that um, about Habakkuk and and just be clear about that. Now, there's a lot of hope in that. And I think we'll talk about that later because God's going to take someone in absolute distress. <laughs> he's he, like I said, he's a little bit of a carp here, not completely. And he's going to take this man and deliver him by the power of the word and, and by the truth and the gospel and move him um, to to the heights treading like that, that Ibex. Yeah, I'm ready to move into some applications of it. One, I got to say one other thing about the text before we do that, and it and it's simply this: um, uh, Habakkuk is interrupted by God, and I I don't I think that's no small feature of the text. He's not allowed to say Amen. Amen means you know this is true. Like I actually believe this, and um, it's a it's a expression an acclamation of both praise and confidence. And um, Habakkuk is not allowed to, to bring this opening prayer um, to that kind of culmination. Instead, God, in grace and mercy and power, does interrupt him. And we'll talk about that more as the podcast unfolds. But it's important to note, like, this is this it just is dropped cold because God comes breaks into His world. Yeah, and that's and that that's also the the emotional intensity of this and the way that the the dialogue comes back and forth so quickly here um, is a reminder of the the spiritual um, tenseness of this situation, and so that Habakkuk doesn't even um, he's not going to what Habakkuk said or finished the prayer and then the Lord said. He doesn't, none of those um, markers of dialogue are here. And they're not necessarily here. We read this very easily, who's talking when, and um, it helps move along the pace and also shows us the emotional intensity of what's going on. Yeah. So like that, that what we just outlined is, sort of the broad contours of the text we might we might notice one final thing and it's just this that the position positionality of Habakkuk to uh, he's got three word pairs in there he talks about um injustice wrongdoing that's one word pair he talks about destruction and violence and he talks about strife and conflict as well so really he's talking about evil in the world he's looking out he's not a personal sufferer of it instead um he accuses god of making him look at it and uh, yeah he's so, he's a third person yeah witness and, to and, it 
so in in a sense like i think that's a healthy place to to be like uh, like on the one hand he's not being selfish like he's not he's not saying god you got to do this for me just so i can be more comfortable things like that um on the other hand he's not jeremiah pitt who's been faithful to god he's he's not he's actually a lot of people think he's at the temple and he's a popular preacher and he's not suffering himself any kind of persecution but he sees it he sees it he's deep he's a deeply sensitive man and he can't live with it and yeah so, so and you that's insightful it's an important comment this this there's nothing this isn't about his self-interests he is right. other interested this is about love for him and you you talked about love for neighbor and if I could add to that, this is also love for God. And you see that from the yes. text because his ultimate concern. Now we have in verse four, we have the translation, the law, the law is paralyzed, but it's actually the Torah in Hebrew. It's God's instruction. He's thinking about, you know, what, what Moses has given us that the, the Torah, God's instruction is paralyzed. So when he, his concern is that God's will is um, not not working itself out in the world? It's being it's being blocked um, by the wicked. So here here Habakkuk is God interested, God focused, um, other loving, and in that sense, he's in a really good place. He's in a really good. He's thinking about the evil out there, the way the world's going wrong. Um, in Judah, specifically in Judah, this is very particular, and we're going to have to talk about the significance of that um, in a future podcast. But here, it, it is God's people. It is actually God's people who are. Um, you know, think about that um, another time. Who are the evil ones? Yeah. So I I think we cover the text well, Jonathan. I think let's give. Let, let's think about some things that we can just take home with it i i thought we could package it up in this way is first of all by talking about meaningful grace or in other words like what does this teach us about god that would be the first thing and then the other thing would be meaningful prayer like what does it teach us about like really how to pray um and we want to talk there about complaint and things like that so I, first of all like what is what does this ta- teach us about god and I, what it teaches us about God is meaningful grace. And I want to build into this idea um, that this is what Habakkuk knew and believed about God, whether he recognized it or not in the moment, is that God is merciful and full of grace. And that he could, he he believed that God was the covenant God, full of free and faithful love, or like that chorus, like we talk about, about the cassette that we talk about in the old testament he must have believed that about god because he he was honest and transparent about his emotional state he brings accusatory words like he treated god like he was a father who could take it and he's he's almost like we in our job season we talked about this like pounding on the father's chest um you can hardly use less toxic words in prayer than than Habakkuk did, but Habakkuk believed that he had, although he was a sinner, access to the holy God by grace. And 
So he's believing and anticipating the coming Messiah who, who has already come and suffered and died for us. His name is Jesus, so that we can bring our deepest hurts and deepest accusations and biggest complaints to God. In order to do that, um, you need to believe and know meaningful grace. And Habakkuk yeah. got that. As, as much as we critiqued him today, Habakkuk understood that about God. Yeah, and and here's here's a couple. Of, this is for for our listeners, but also for the the people around us. That what's the pragmatics of this? What does this mean for our lives? What what do we do with this? There, I I and I've heard this. I've read people like this. I've heard I've I've heard people say this. Some some people um, are are really conservative on this on this point. They're not they're not on the gospel side of this. And what they're going to say is you can't you can't pray like this. You cannot pray like this. You can't. And and they sort of tell themselves to tell other people they might be in that emotional place where you can't do it god is sovereign shut it down whether you're feeling that that way or not you don't don't say that to god you can't do that and then on the, that's one extreme and then on the other extreme people listen to that and they say okay you say i can't i i'm feeling this way i'm not i have to shut my brain off you're telling me i have to shut my brain i can't notice all the things that are messed up about the world that i see and they say, I can't, I can't do it. And th- th- this is exactly, this is one of the reasons why people are walking away from the faith right now is because they say, fine, I have to shut my brain off. I notice everything that's wrong in the world. I'm really upset about it. I can't, uh, I, I, I can't talk to God about the way I'm feeling. I'm, I'm out. And Habakkuk shows us neither one. You can, and I, I, I like that language a lot. You can bring these thoughts and these feelings to God, he, he can take it. And, and we know this from not just Habakkuk, but we have multiple biblical examples of um, surprising, like Psalm, Psalm 88 is such a surprise. You read Psalm 88, it ends in a hopeless condition. Darkness is my closest friend. Boom, I'm out. The, whoa, where's hope in God? Not nowhere in that Psalm. Um, Job, Job goes to that place. You know, you and I covered that in in another part. Job, Job is saying, "God, you you're not saving me. You're shooting you're shooting arrows at the, at the at the soft places in my body. You're really you're hurting me. You're doing the exact opposite of what you're supposed to be doing." That was Job's a- accusation. So you have you have multiple examples in the Bible um, where where God says, "I I can take this. I can take this," and. And the the rhetoric I would use, I I hope this is helpful, comfort somebody. I'm on the gospel side of this right now. <laughs> I'm not evaluating. I'm on the I'm on the gospel side of this right now. Is that the what we know about about Yahweh, about the Lord, um, as as you rise rise in us through Jesus Christ is as surprising as it is. The Lord not only can take these things from us, um, He wants to. Um, we know this from Jesus. Like it, it was interesting to me. Like I, 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 um, I preached this sermon to my church, and the gospel reading that day was was Jesus saying, "Come to me, all you are weary and burdened." And so here, Jesus, here, Jesus, you know, Jesus is like, "Bring me all your good works." You know, bring bring me all uh, your put together worship or whatever. He says, I, "I want you to come to me." 
you who are weary and burdened. I want you to bring me, I want you, I want you to bring me my, your burdens. And so here, Jesus is inviting us not to give them our good stuff, but actually to give them um, our bad stuff. And this is who Jesus is. Like he, he, we give him our sins and he's like, I want to take them. I want to be your savior. In fact, very offensive to him. It's unbelief. We call it unbelief. I'm not going to give you, uh, I'm not going to give Jesus my sin. I'm going to atone for myself. I'm going to do works righteous. Jesus like that. You're alienated from Christ. He wants us um, through repentance and faith to give us our, our bad stuff. And so here, um, here we learn this about God that um, we give him our sin. He gives us forgiveness we give him our death. He gives us resurrection. We give him our off-kilter, um, raw prayers, and he honors them. And we and this is the grace. This is the grace, Timothy. It's, it's, it's a beautiful grace here that we see from the Lord. Meaningful. Yeah, so meaningful grace. And the other the the flip side of this like what what can this teach us about our life of obedience like sanctification we we could talk about meaningful prayer and we probably want to say a lot about this about the value of complaint its necessity and things like that i know you you have some things on that jonathan but i want to just comment uh, on it this way there really there's when when we're burdened like this and when we feel it like Habakkuk felt it and he had his reasons for it, which we explored before. There's there's sort of two options for that. One is to go vertical, and that's what he did. And the other is to go horizontal. And I want to talk about the horizontals in, in just a second. But he goes vertical. And I, just, just to give by way of illustration why this is so important, like that we bring our hurts our hangups, the 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 pain, the injustice that we see, and, just, and go vertical with it in prayer. Um, it's one thing if, let's say, I'm having trouble with a friend, and instead of going to the friend, I go I go and complain to another friend and say, "Well, he's this way, and he did that, and I can't believe it," and blah blah blah. And then the friend hears about the complaint through through the the shared friend like that's not going to be received well but what if you go directly the friend well now you have a chance for relationship building and you say you know this hurt me this is i don't understand this and now you set yourself up um not only to affirm the relationship but also um to build it and um to look for grace and and habakkuk trusted his relationship with the Lord, which we just talked about, enough to go and lay it lay it directly on God, and so meaningful prayer, vertical prayer, um, starts with that grace, uh, but it it continues until it's honest and transparent uh, in complaint. If you have to complain, we've been saying this. If you have to complain, do it. There's sometimes in life you don't have to. Good, good for you. You can just rise to Thanksgiving right away. Um, but uh, if you have to complain, do it. That's a whole lot better than grumbling. And yeah, yeah. So I I want to say add to what you're saying. And you gave us some nice categories. When when you have a complaint on your heart, first of all, uh, I, you said there's two places you can go. I would say there's three. The 
the, you can you can either keep it in your own heart, kind of push it down there, keep it in there, and you let it swirl. And people choose that. I've met people who choose that option. They got cable news and they're very upset about it. Stuff it. And they hold it in there. And this, like, I, I, I can tell pastoral stories about people who see all of the mess in the world and, and they keep it inside and they break out in a case of massive anxiety. So when we, we are not, God did not build us to be gods. He built us to be his children. And we are to release this to him in prayer. If we, and, and when we don't, that is its own judgment. And, it, and, I, and I mean that, like we're going to suffer the consequences of, of that sin. We're going to, the anxiety is going to break out, the, the cynicism, the despair, the anger, the resentment, all of that. And so re, that is an option. It's, it's not a valid one, but it's an option. You can keep it in your own heart. That's that's um, a judgment of its own kind. The Talk about it secondly, horizontally, like you can emotionally vomit over other people. And we've all seen that too. Maybe we've done that where we go on faith, you know, we go on social media and we emotionally vomit about the state of the world to everybody. Um, or, you know, we're constantly talking about it with other people, this and that is happening in the world. And we're upset. We're upset. And so we're trying to vent it. But what this is, Habakkuk is at some level model here in the sense that we we need to recognize that that venting um, is it's kind of like um, a fire in the summer. You want the smoke to go up like campfire. You don't want it to go sideways. <laughs> you want it to go up. Um, it's really good when it goes up. Really bad when it goes sideways. And the the. What, what happens when it's going side is at some level, we're not trusting God. We, we're not thinking that he can do something about it. We're not thinking that he's faithful. We're not thinking he's observant, whatever. If we're not talking to God about it, there's a problem. Because we're, when, when it's, the example that I like to use is a kindergartner on, on the playground, when they witness bullying, you should not be going to talk to the other kindergartners about it. You should be going to talk to the teacher. And if you're not talking to the teacher about it, there's a, there's a, there's a worse problem. And so what we want to be doing is we don't want to be the kindergartner on the playground who's running running the wrong direction. And Jesus, you know, my last comment on that is Jesus himself, an authority no less than Jesus Christ, taught us that what we, he taught us, look, you, you can go to the Father through me. That's what he taught you. Go to the Father through me and through his blood. And he taught us not to keep it inside. And he taught us not to emotionally vomit or be like the kindergartner on the playground talking to all the other kindergartner about it. He said, I want you to pray this way. Our Father, deliver us from evil. So he does, he wants us to be talking to God about it, to our kind Father. Um, I had one last application, though, Timothy. I don't know if you had one last application or not, but I Maybe have one I Maybe I'll just say this about the meaningful prayer, and then you can you can close it out with that last piece. Is I think I think it's helpful, like personally, as you begin the book, if you really want to heal and like I'm thinking Spanish, like sanación completa, like it, you want that healing, that emotional life that that we're aiming for. I think this is the time to say, like, to begin to ask these questions is where is it that you feel disappointment with God? 
just slow down and contemplate that. What actually are your answered, unanswered prayers or the ones that you feel are unanswered? And name them in your heart and not just in your heart. Um, but you bring that to God. Because that's the openness. That's the privilege of prayer. And, and to begin to wrestle that out with God is the invitation at, at the beginning of this book. And I think it's really important to do that for all the reasons that we just named. So to begin to ask yourself that those questions. So I, I want I'm gonna I'm gonna close like this. And Timothy, please feel free to jump in. The we Habakkuk, I want to draw a parallel. Habakkuk was looking around his nation, he was looking around his culture, and he's very upset. And now I'm starting to draw a parallel. And I think that's all the language I need to do to do it. Like, what do you, as a, as a Christian person who's listening to this, you're looking around your world and you're making observations. And Habakkuk was doing the same thing. So this is one personal suffering. He's looking at the national state. He's looking at what's going on culturally, the, the big stuff. And he's upset. And he's got to complain about it. He's upset. He's got to complain. We already talked about that. And I, I want to, first of all, I say that, and I, this is an affirmation uh, that you, dear Christian, you're not alone. You're not, Habakkuk's right there with you. He's looking around. He's going, this is not supposed to be this way. And you're not alone. And I, I, I want our listeners to know that I, I, I'm a pastor. One of the big themes that I get is, there are Christians who look around their world and they're upset. And on one level, I want to say to all you ladies and all you men, men out there who are listening to this, you are not alone. You're not alone. Um, it is at some level, we're looking around our world and we're not upset. There's something wrong with us. Um, there's some really, really wrong stuff going on out there. Um, and it is upsetting. And when we start putting our fingers on that emotionally, theologically, and in our, in our contemporary environment, now we're starting to come along Habak alongside Habakkuk. We're starting to understand his anger, his resentment, his protest, his complaint here. Until we grasp that, we're not, we're not quite there yet. My encourage, so, here, so here's an affirmation. Complain. I know some of our parents taught us, don't complain. <laughs> don't complain and there's value to that i told my i told my my church a cute little historic or a acidic story about being content in life there are things we should not be complaining about <laughs> and we all know that there's such a thing as godly contentment then there are some things that are wrong and are evil according to god um complaining about those things in our hearts having a cry about that means that you are a living christian person you care about God. You care about people. That's a good thing. We What you don't want to do is, is to be desensitized to, to all the wrongdoing in the world. Then we're frogs boiled in water. Then, then we're just like, uh, I, I was going to make a provocative comparison. I'm not going to do that. We don't want to be frogs boiled in water. We don't want to be desensitized what's going on. Um, also, and this is my last encouragement, we want to make sure that the complaint we have in our heart 
and this is where we can use Habakkuk as a, as a model, is God's complaint. It's God's, can I say this? It's God's complaint. Remember what Habakkuk was lining up his complaint with the Torah. Sometimes in, a, in, a, in an environment like this, everybody in the whole world is going to tell you what you should be upset about. We live in a resentment culture. Every, you know, sociologists tell, tell us that. We live in a resentment culture, a, a, a culture of victimhood. Everybody's going to say, this is what, these are the real victims. This is, the, this is what you should be upset about. Here's, here's, here's how, what you should be really resent. Everybody wants to have your protests. Everybody wants to have your, your complaint. And when we let other people or ideologies or movements or parties or whatever have our complaint, what happens um, is that we end up with a complaint that isn't God's complaint. It's our complaint. We are some part of the Torah, like, and I see this all the time, like some, some people are, are upset about this part of God's law, but they don't care about that part of God's law at all. Very concerned about sexuality, not concerned about economic justice at all, for example. And what we want to do is we want to be concerned about all of it. We want to be, we want to be in line with God's Torah. And when, when, we, when we as Christians are there, then we can realize we have a valid complaint about what's going on out there. And um, I think the best way, to do this, here's an application. I think the best way to do that is get lined up with the Ten Commandments. We want to be lined up with all of them. And when we are, then we're okay. But if we're obsessed with the Fifth Commandment versus the Sixth Commandment, sex versus caring for somebody's body, um, or something like that, um, where we're looking at one but not the other, we're caring about you know we're 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 caring about about um, racism, but we don't care about the breakdown of the family unit, for example. Um, then we're on our own platform and we're not standing with God, and that needs to be corrected. And we want to be lined up with God in Christ, um, and that, that that would be that would be my last encouragement as we think about. What we're upset about it does align. Is it just what we're upset about? Is there or or does it line up with God? More to come. More to come. Habakkuk is. This is about transformation, and a, about a good place to start. And this is an excellent place to start. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www. Dot the note